Praise the Lord, saints. Tonight we want to enjoy hymn number 481. Amen. Crucified with Christ, my Savior, to the world and self and sin. Crucified with Christ, my Savior, to the world and self and sin, to the death born life, to Jesus I am sweet, the entering in, in his fellowship of suffering, to his death conformed to be, I am to Calvary, where my Savior went for me. Amen. Help, help us, Lord, to go with you all the way to Calvary. Amen. 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 It's not hard to die with Christ when his recent life we know. It is not hard to share his suffering. When our hearts with joy overflow. Amen. 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 Resurrection power, he has come to dwell in us. And my heart is gladly going all the way to poverty. Amen. Amen. That's right. If we die, right. we will live with Christ. Amen. Amen. If we suffer, we shall reign. Amen. 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 Amen.
and the conqueror attained. Amen. Amen. In his Oh, how sweet on that that morning should the master say to thee, Yes, my child, go with me all the way to Calvary. Amen. In his fellowship of suffering to his death conformed to be, I'm going with my Savior all the way to Calvary. Amen. Amen. Yes. Oh, and in his resurrection power, he has come to dwell in me. Mm. And my heart is gladly going all the way to Father. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Oh, saints, uh, this hymn, this hymn was written by Albert Benjamin Simpson, A.B. Simpson, uh, he experienced a kind of identified with the death and resurrection of Christ. And this is quite a deep hymn that how experiences to join himself with the cross of Christ. Here in verse one, he is saying, I already crucified my world, my sin, and myself together with Christ. Christ, my Savior, the one who saved me, he already put all these things on the cross. And mm -hmm. today I'm just sweetly, simply entering <coughs> into the fellowship of his suffering. And then he said, and I'm willing to take this away. Going with my Savior all the way to Calvary. On one hand, the Lord already crucified all the world's self and sin. On the other hand, he still wants to have this kind of fellowship with the suffering that conformed to the death of Christ. Mm -hmm. He did not say everything's done, praise the Lord. Rather, the main word here is. He is entering into the fellowship of the suffering of Christ or participate in that kind of suffering. Uh, how to put the world, self, and sin on the cross. And here in third line, he saying, to the dead born life of Jesus. If you have your hymnal, you can underline that word. There's a kind of life called dead-born life. That is a life that has come out from the dead. No, it's a kind of, I don't know how to explain it, dead-born life. Uh, to the dead-born life of Jesus. No, that is that life that comes out from the dead. The more we conform to his death, the more we enjoy this kind of life. From that dead, it burns life. Amen. This is how he participated in the fellowship of the Lord's suffering. The more he conformed to the dead, the more he enjoyed this life. This is a good hymn. And in verse 2, he says, 
it is not hard to die with Christ. You can underline not hard. He experienced not difficult when I know the resurrection life. And then it is not hard to share the suffering when my heart is overflow with joy. When I'm enjoying in this kind of goodness, even it's not difficult to share the suffering. The outward may be suffering, but within me, there's a joy. In his resurrection power, he has come and dwell in me. And my heart is gladly going all the way to Calvary. And in verse 3, is that if we die, we live with. If we suffer, we reign. Is that good? If we die with Christ, we live with Christ. That means die together, live together. And if we suffer with Christ, we also reign together. That means suffer together and reign together. Only this one is the price of the cow of the overcomer can obtain. The overcomer, the one who has such kind of experience, they will obtain the price of glory. And then the last line, oh, how sweet on that morning. Since today is in the age of darkness, in the darkness of the night, but we know the morning will come. How sweet in that morning. If the master said to you, my child, my child, you have done, go with me all the way to Calvary. My master will tell you, well done, my child. Thou didst go with me all the way to Calvary. Amen. My master, our master will praise us. My child, thou didst go with me all the way, faithfully, obedient, all the way to Calvary. Amen. How about let's sing this again. From dead born life to experience that is not difficult. And then on that day, our master will praise us and receive us all the way, all the way to Calvary. Amen. Brother Etienne, can you play this song again for us? Is not 
sharest sufferings when our hearts with joy overflow. In his resurrection power, he has come to dwell in me, and my heart is gladly going all the way to Calvary, all the way to Calvary, where my Savior went for me. Help me, Lord, to go with thee all the way to Calvary. If we die, we'll live with Christ. If we suffer, we shall reign. Only thus the prize of glory can the conqueror attain. Oh, how sweet on that glad morning should the Master say to thee, Yes, my child, thou didst go with me all the way to Calvary. My Savior went for me. Help me, Lord, to go with thee all the way to Calvary. Amen. Good. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, saints. Um, Hallelujah. The Lord went all the way. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to uh, begin um, tonight with this section in Luke chapter 19. That's uh, It has the heading, The Man's Savior's Presentation of Himself to Death for Redemption. So um, this is the next, the next section that we'll begin to cover. We're going to read from Luke uh chapter 19 verse 28 up to 20 verse 19 and um etienne can just break us up in groups it's quite a few verses saints um in our groups if you have uh finished reading then you can just use the time to pray over some of these verses just pray to open your hearts to the lord that the lord can minister to us tonight okay so welcome back everyone this week, we're beginning with a new section in Luke. Um, we have seen that the Lord in, in Luke has been, uh, he has been introduced, he's been prepared, and then he began with his ministry. And when he began with his ministry in chapter 4, he began with his ministry in, in, in the region of Galilee. And then after being in Galilee for some time, the Lord had this, he set his face like a flint, right? He he had a purpose to accomplish. He had a goal in view. And his goal was to work out God's redemption. That's why this section is speaking about the man's Savior's presentation of himself to death for redemption. Saints, something I've really been appreciating lately about the Lord is that the Lord, um, on the one hand, of course, he did many miracles. But on the other hand, he did not expect to just have an easy journey, an easy life, an easy way when he was on the earth. He actually was, he took the way of God, which is to be produced, is 
to be in the process. So the Lord went through many, many experiences. Um, even tonight, we'll speak about the temple and how the Lord had this, even as a young person, I think it was at the age of 12, right? That he had this heart for the temple. When his parents sought him, he said to them, but I need to be in the things of my father. So he had the, the father's desire within him. Maybe at the age of 12, he could have been crucified already. Surely he was spotless at that time. He was already without any sin. I mean, he was his whole life was he, he was without sin. But yet, um, that was not God's intention. His intention was that this man would live a human life. And in this human life, he would express God through all his human virtues, enriched with the divine attributes. This is what Luke is showing us. Even there have been so many things that happened in the Lord's ministry, even in Galilee, before he started going to Jerusalem. And uh, I don't know, but I can't remember all of these things that have happened. But yet in all these things, we see that God is, is on this journey. God is on this he has, he has this goal in view. He wants to accomplish God's eternal purpose. So he has to accomplish redemption for man to be reconciled to God. Redemption is a major step in the Lord fulfilling God's economy. This is one of the big things that the Lord came to do as a man. He had, I had to enter into humanity in order to accomplish redemption for man, the very creature which God created to fulfill his heart's desire and purpose, this creature needed redemption. And so the Lord Jesus, he is on this journey to accomplish redemption for mankind. Okay, so, um, so we can... Uh, actually, Luke is divided in, in seven sections. If you look at your recovery version, um, if you go to the, to the um, outline of Luke, you'll see there are, there are seven main sections. The introduction, then the preparation of the Lord uh, in his humanity with his divinity, then his ministry, which was a big section from chapter 4 up to even chapter 19, and now the Lord is uh, presenting himself to death. Okay, this is the fourth section. And then there'll be two more, which is the Lord's, uh, sorry, three more. The death of the Savior, the resurrection, and then the ascension. Um, actually, it's, it, it makes Luke a little bit simpler, right? We don't, maybe you can't remember all the all the different chapters, 24 chapters, what happened in all of them. Well, the Lord was prepared as a person. He began to minister. Then he was presenting himself to be crucified. He died, he resurrected, and he ascended. So this is the process within which God was going through in order to be ultimately consummated for our enjoyment. Okay, so um, maybe before we get into these verses, um, uh, I can just uh, give us a little bit of a, like some of the main things that Luke has been speaking to us. 
So we've seen again and again that Luke has been speaking to us about this matter of salvation. Okay, salvation is our being returned by the Lord as the Jubilee. But that's what he began with his ministry. I've come to announce the good news. I've come to announce the Jubilee. So that is even our initial experience of the Jubilee is the Lord saving us. The Lord coming to, to deliver us from the bondage of sin, of Satan, all the usurpation that we were under. And we have been set free. Saints, this is what the Lord came to announce in Luke. He came to announce the Jubilee, which is salvation. Salvation is our first uh, stage of enjoying the Lord. Then the Lord uh, goes on after speaking about salvation. Again and again, he mentions this matter of our being, our serving the Lord. Our, uh, now that you have received salvation, how do we go on with the Lord? And this is, these two matters are covered in chapter 14, chapter 16, 17, 18, 19. In all of those chapters, we see how the Lord puts these two together. Our salvation and then our serving of him. Now, our serving of him determines whether we will enjoy the jubilee in the coming age. In this age, we, we, our enjoyment of the jubilee will determine whether we will have the enjoyment of the jubilee in the coming age. The coming age, Luke, in his gospel, again and again, he presents to us how we need to be those who are faithful. How, need to be, how we need to be prudent. How do we need to deal with money? All these things that usurp us, that occupy us, that keeps us from the jubilee. Actually, saints, what a release when we are released from the usurpation of all these worldly things that, that entangle us to be free to enjoy the Lord. But saints, there is a warning to us. And this warning is that if we are not faithful to learn, I like that word, learn. Paul also in, in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, he tells the Ephesians, you have not so learned Christ, but you did not so learn Christ. In verse 19, he speaks about our past, how we used to live. In verse 20, he says, but you did not so learn Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, as the reality is in Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, this reality is portrayed in these Gospels. In Luke, we are seeing the reality of this God-man living this human life that has been enriched. His human virtues are not simply just a good human but it has been enriched with the divine attributes. And because the, live, the Lord lived such a life, he lived the reality. So in him, everything is made real. So we need to be those brothers and sisters who are faithful in our living on the earth today to learn Christ, to learn to enjoy him as the reality of the Jubilee. If we do not enjoy the Lord, Brothers and sisters, actually, we will miss out in a 
fuller enjoyment in the coming age, which is the, the age of the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, where Christ will come back to reign for a thousand years. Obviously, the fullest enjoyment is the new Jerusalem, where every believer will be returned to the Jubilee and enjoy the Jubilee to the fullest extent. In eternity future, we will all participate in the Jubilee and every believer will, will be returned to their inheritance, their rightful position to enjoy the Lord as their Jubilee. But saints, if we are faithful to enjoy the Lord as our portion in this age, then the Lord's enjoyment will be our enjoyment in the coming age. Okay, so um, the Lord is going to present himself as this offering to God. And actually in Hebrews, um, we see two verses that speak about the Lord being both the priest and the offering. And that is in Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 14. I'll just read two of them. There are more verses that speak about the Lord um, being the priest. But in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But Christ, having come as a high priest of the good things that have come into being through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, okay? So there we see that he's the high priest. And then in verse 13, um, sorry, I think it's verse 14, yes. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the Lord in the Old Testament they were the priests and they presented the offerings on behalf of the people to God on the altar. Christ, he is the reality of all those offerings. That's what, that's what we read in Ephesians 4. The reality is in Jesus. So all those offerings that were made in the Old Testament, that is a type of Christ coming to offer, coming to be this sacrifice. But not only is Christ the, the offering, He's also the high priest who is presenting the offering. Brothers and sisters, the Lord were not arrested by the Pharisees in Galilee. They didn't go to Galilee, arrested the Lord and brought him back to be crucified in Jerusalem, right? Actually, the Lord was the one who presented himself. He was the one who came to present himself to God according to God's eternal purpose to accomplish redemption for man. The Lord was the one who presented himself as this pure, sinless offering to God on the altar, which in the New Testament is the cross. When the Lord came to present himself on the cross, that was him presenting himself on the altar to God. We might think that the Pharisees eventually arrested the Lord. They brought him to Pontius Pilate. They, you know, all those things that happened. But actually, brothers and sisters, we need to see that that was not just 
them doing those things, but actually the Lord allowed them to do it. And the Lord was the one who presented himself. When the Lord came, he didn't come in a sneaky way. He didn't come to kind of hide so that no one would notice him. He actually went to Jerusalem on his own, on his own initiative. So in verse 28 in Luke chapter 19, it says, And having said these things, he went on before them, going up to Jerusalem. So the Lord was the one who took the initiative to go to Jerusalem. And as he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount, which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which you are to enter. Entering, you will find a colt tied on which no man has ever sat, untied and lead it here. Sovereignly, the Lord knew. The Lord, he really is the Lord, right? He sent his disciples into this town, into this village. They will find a cult. No man has ever sat upon this cult. This cult has been prepared by the, for the Lord. The Lord knew about this. The disciples acted upon the Lord's word. They just followed his word and they got the cult and they even spoke to the person who asked them about untying the cult. Okay, and then uh, the Lord goes in. Uh, then they... Uh, they say the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus. They put their garments on it and they put Jesus on it. And as he went, they spread their own garments on the road. And as he was already drawing near to the descent of Mount of Olives, all the multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the works of power which had been seen. So, of course, in, in, in John, Luke doesn't mention this, but in John, Lazarus was raised just before this, around this time. Lazarus was raised. And many people began to follow the Lord because of Lazarus's resurrection. Because Lazarus had been raised from the dead, so many people began to follow the Lord. So there was a lot that was busy happening around this time. And so there's this multitude of people following the Lord as he goes into Jerusalem. So the Lord doesn't go in a way of being hidden secretive what if they find me they're going to catch me and crucify me no here we see the lord is coming to present himself and we'll see a little bit later why this is such a such a big thing the lord has god's building in view but but as the lord is going his disciples they are still not clear on what is in the lord's heart they are still not clear on what, what is going to happen. Even after the Lord's resurrection, his disciples still came to him and asked him, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is just in their thought. This is their concept. The Lord is coming to reign. Praise God. He's doing all these works of power. There was probably a whole like train of People going with him, following him, singing praises. And his disciples, they were maybe taking the lead in praising God for this man that is coming, that's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Now he's going to be empowered. He's going to rule as the king over the nation and free them from all their oppression and things. The Lord surely is the king. 
He surely is the king, doing works of power, even the way that he sovereignly knew about the cult. But brothers and sisters, the way he comes is not the way that a king would take. A king would be full of, uh, on a royal, some kind of a royal, you know, with the royal animal and something. But the Lord comes in a very humble way. He comes riding on a colt. Praise the Lord. We have such a king. Even when the Lord was born, oh Lord Jesus, <laughs> if you were God, which way would you take? If you were God, the, the, the one who created the entire human race, who created the entire universe, which way would you take? Well, the Lord takes the way of the manger, right? The way of the cross, the way of the cult coming to man. So here the Lord is going in, in uh, they are saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees of the crowd said, teach, rebuke your disciples. But he says to them, if they shall be silent, the stones will cry out. But yet while everybody is rejoicing, everybody is singing praises and 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 full of expectation and hope. What is this man going to do? This man who is so full of power and work. But, but when he draws near, he weeps over the city. As he draw near, he saw the city and he wept over it. The Lord, maybe he was, maybe he was the only one who was weeping at this time. The Lord was, was full of sorrow in his heart concerning his people. Even later on, we'll see the Lord cleansing the temple. Saints, oh Lord Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes I suppose the Lord is also just weeping over us, his people. Lamenting over his people. Okay, so he sees the city. This, 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 the, the condition of what is going on. And he is, he is just full of feeling regarding God's people. Uh, in verse 42, even you, the things that are for your peace, but they've been hidden from your eyes. So this, these things of peace will eventually be the restoration of Israel when the Lord comes back. Um, and of course, in verse 42, this is a prophecy of what happened when I think it was the emperor Titus or the Caesar Titus. And he came and his army came and destroyed Jerusalem and left no two stones upon one another. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw uh, up a rampant, rampart before you and will encircle you and will press you in every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children with you. And they will not leave a stone upon a stone in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
Okay, so uh, maybe I'll go on to this matter of the cleansing of the temple and teaching in it. So then the Lord enters into the temple and he begins to cast out those who were selling. Now in Luke, a number of times, on, on numerous occasions, the Lord addresses this matter of money. He attaches this matter within man. But what is God's temple, God's dwelling place filled with? It's filled with these things, with mammon. They were selling. They were trading. He even says later on, saying to them, "As it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. Oh, Lord Jesus, what has what God's dwelling place been filled with? So, brothers and sisters, I've been considering, Lord, how does this apply to us today? The temple, right? The Lord, we actually, you know what? The temple was in God's heart from the beginning. Like I mentioned, when he was 12 years old, he went, his parents were looking for him. Where was he? He was in the temple. In John chapter 2, when the Lord begins his ministry, what does he do? He cleanses the temple. And then even the disciples say, uh, I think they remember uh, something about the zeal. Uh, of your dwelling place has consumed me. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm in this chapter one. Okay. Um, uh, verse 16, John 2, 16. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away from here. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of your house shall devour me. So the Lord had this deep longing for the Father's house, the temple. Actually, brothers and sisters, what this is showing us, it's not just the story of the Lord going in from Bethany and he's on a, on a donkey and he goes and everybody's singing and praising and then he comes to the temple and now he's chasing all the, all, all the ones out, all the... Uh, um, and began to cast out those who were selling. He cleanses the temple. But actually, we need to realize what is happening here is the Lord is on his way presenting himself as this sacrifice, as this offering to accomplish redemption for God's purpose. What for? To gain a temple, to gain a holy dwelling place for God. This is what the Lord did. When he died, he did not just die to, to save us from all the negative things, to deal with all the negative things in the universe. Brothers and sisters, Christ fell into the ground as a grain of wheat to what? To produce many grains, to produce something. The Lord has this longing within him that something will come forth. And you know what is going to come forth from the Lord's death as he's presenting himself? It's the church. It's the assembling. It's the body of Christ. That's what's going to come forth. The body of Christ. Later on, through Paul's ministry, through all his epistles, we realize he speaks about the body of Christ. And he says, for you are the temple of the living God. 
Do you not know this of yourself, that you are the temple of the living God? This is what, what Christ, this zeal was within him for God's dwelling place. So even him going to cleanse the temple is actually just him going to present himself for God's building, for the temple. Christ is longing to have a temple, to have a, a place on the earth where God can dwell. Brothers and sisters, I'm so impressed with this matter. This week, even our morning revival, speaking about how the, the, the temple is being filled. What is it being filled with? What was it filled with here? Cast out the selling, the robbers. Since this is in contrast to us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of, of, of God, do we, do we realize what Christ has done on the earth, on the, on the cross? He brought forth a temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That, that is who we are. We are those in whom this triune God is wanting to reside. He went through all his steps, all of this journey, so that he can accomplish redemption for us to gain a dwelling place on the earth among man. Even just consider, how long did it take God since creation of man until the temple was built? I'm actually not sure. <laughs> but I do know from Adam to Abraham, I believe was about 2,000 years. Then from Abraham to, to Isaac, another few hundred, 400 years in Egypt. Then they came out of there. Maybe another thousand years at least, I'm, I'm sure. Maybe, at, anyway, at the very least, another 500 years. But even just 500, at, probably at 2,500 years before God, and only against the tabernacle, which is not the, the consummation of God's dwelling place which is just a temporal dwelling place for God. Then how many, you know, in the wilderness for 40 years, eventually the children of Israel go into the good land, fights all the wars. Eventually God gains David. Eventually God gains Solomon. Eventually there is the temple. There is the temple filled with God's glory. Oh, the Lord is very burdened for this, brothers and sisters. I do feel we need to have a lot of feeling about the temple, about what is the temple filled with. The Lord touches this matter of mammon again and again in, 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 in the Gospel of Luke. He even says you need to renounce your positions. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. In chapter, is it 14 or 17, where the Lord touches this matter of mammon, then, then the, the Pharisees, they love money. When the Lord said this word, you cannot love God and mammon, they were pricked because they love money. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has to touch these things in us to cleanse us. The Lord is going to prepare a dwelling place. That's why he's even lamenting over, over Jerusalem, lamenting. They did not know the time of their visitation. Here the Lord is coming to prepare something. So in verse 47, he says, and he taught daily in the temple. 
But the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. Yet they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging upon him, listening. Brothers and sisters, amen. This is the Lord's desire. He wants to cleanse the temple. He wants to have a dwelling place. He wants to find an expression. When you can come into this dwelling place, then as he fills it with himself, as opposed to it being filled with robbers and selling of merchandise, all these things, but filled with the glory of God, God will finally gain again on the earth this dwelling place that he is longing for. Actually, brothers and sisters, we are in the most privileged time in the history of mankind. Never before has have, have mankind come to this point where we can actually realize this deep longing within God's heart to have a dwelling place filled with God's glory. Amen. Uh, amen, saints. I'm going to uh, end there. Maybe, Brother bro John, you can continue, brother. Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. This is quite a nice part. Talking about the humanity of Christ. I'm not sure, supposed to be you or be the one who read the Bible, describe Christ. How are you going to describe it? Maybe some of us, maybe just write the first part that he was born in a manger. God became a man, born in the manger. But praise the Lord for the look. For the book of Luke, Luke being a physician, he really knows how to describe the humanity of Christ. As Adrian show us from the outline, and hopefully you get the highlighter to highlight the three words from your outline. If you go to the front of the book of Luke, uh, Luke used three key words three crystals to describe the humanity of Christ. Are you ready? Number one, the preparation. Being a doctor, a physician, he saw what the Lord did. His life is full of preparation. That is a proper humanity. You know, if it's God, Something just called being not to called not being the being, but humanity is a lot of preparation. Then the second key words is the ministry. The Lord became a man. He's not just running around or play around, but he lived a life of serving, ministering, called the ministry. And number three, in his humanity, Roman number four, is presentation of himself. Being a man, he come not only serving, but he presented himself for redemption. This is the three keys, the three crucial the outstanding point of his human life. Again, 
we're not talking about his divinity, but his humanity. I've been studying the book of Luke. I always try to find out, Luke, how do you describe the Lord Jesus? And under these key, these three key words, is the Lord's life in his human life is full of preparation. And number two, full of service, ministry. At the end, he even make those who he served, cause them to serve also. Learn to serve in order to enjoy the fullness of the Jubilee. And tonight we come to the third point. Did you highlight that word? His pre presentation of himself for redemption. <clears throat> he come to be a man, not just to live his happy life here, but he come in order to present himself for redemption. Only man, human, can redeem human. You cannot ask your dog to redeem you. So being a man, he came to present himself for redemption. And tonight, we come to this part, uh, the third part of the book of Luke. Of course, the last three parts is talking about death, resurrection, and ascension, also by bearing a humanity. But basically, it's three, these three words. If you can get these three words, then the book of Luke becomes so clear to you. You know what the book of Luke is all about. And tonight, we come to Luke chapter 19. And Adrian already covered all these points. I just would like to fill up some of the things that I prepare and also what I learned from Adrian. And this outline, talking about before verse 28, he said, the man savior presentation of himself to death and resurrection. In other words, from now on, Luke is showing us, telling us how this man presented himself for redemption. Number one is he entering into Jerusalem triumphantly. That is, he was so bold, so brave, so kind of victoriously enter into Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, he come to Jerusalem is for what? Okay. Is to be died. Is to be a lamb of the Passover. Did you see anybody, they know they're going to die, they walk into the city triumphantly? Okay. Only the Lord Jesus. You know, this is the place I'm going to die as a lamb of Passover. Verse 28, you underline the word before them. Obviously, he did not hide himself at the back, but he's done at the front, before them, going to Jerusalem. He just, with an attitude, triumphantly. And all this part from verse 28 to verse 14, you will just see how he exercised his divine sovereignty. That means he is a creator. He, is the, he has the sovereignty to arrange all these things. He can do that. He can skip from being killed, from the, being died here. He, he just shows you, I even 
can tell you where are the donkeys, where are the cult, and what they're going to do. He is exercising divine sovereignty in order to present himself for redemption. Did you see wonderful? Luke just said, I don't understand. Such a sovereignty God come in a triumphant way in order to present himself to dead for redemption. Is that good? Um, Luke just described such a wonderful person. Look, what did he say here? Um, untie the, the colt. And as they were untying the colt, and the master said to them, hey, why are you untying the colt? And verse 34, the Lord in his sovereignty, you tell the owner, because the Lord has needed. Wow. Did you see? He's the owner of everything. It just shows you he is the sovereignty one. Just tell that guy, <laughs> my master, you are not the owner. The Lord has need of it. Everything belongs to him. Shut up. <laughs> is that so? And the Lord just ride on the, wow, on the donkey and the colt. You can write it in your Bible. The cult is unclean animal. But after it has been riding on it, it becomes clean. The cult signifies the Gentiles. The donkey signifies the Israelites. And that means the Lord gained the power through the Gentiles. And then the Jews just follow. Uh, we are the cult. Before we were unclean. After the Lord ride on us, we become clean. Secondly, um, it is difficult to ride on the cult. Even the donkey expert cannot ride on that stubborn cold. Is that we all be same? <laughs> Nobody can ride on us. In God's eyes, the Gentiles, we are stubborn. But praise the Lord, they ride on us. Only he can ride on that cold. That cold, after being right, that unclean cult become clean. And rebellious, stubborn one become tame. Oh, praise the Lord, we are the cult. Hallelujah, <laughs> we are the cult. Amen. Oh, amen. Not cult, not cult. Donkey. That is baby donkey. Every saved person, once we were a cult, but after we've been saved, the Lord made right or wrote up as, as, a, as called. <clears throat> and number three, yeah. um, horse signifying war, but donkey <clears throat> signifying peace. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord did not come um, to Jerusalem 
riding the mare horse. Wow. But he comes so humble. He riding on the donkey. And then when he entered into Jerusalem, I don't know when and how it becomes riding on the colt. And this time, his first entering, or this, this time he entered into Jerusalem, is <clears throat> come as a prince of peace. Donkey signifies peace. He comes in with riding on the donkey as being the prince, the king of peace. But for his second coming, his return, at that time, he's going to ride on the white horse, fighting <clears throat> with Antichrist. This is how the Lord triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, presenting himself in such a triumphant way. Is that sweet? <clears throat> And then when he entered in this way, people welcome him. As Adrian mentioned, maybe he caused Lazarus arise. People welcoming him, give everything. Um, I love this thing. Spread their own garment in the road. And the Lord did not say, take it away. I'm coming. Whatever we give it to the Lord, the Lord will receive it. I don't know how nice is this garment. Maybe someone, some maybe are beautiful garments, some maybe not. But whatever we give it to the Lord, the Lord receive it. The Lord wants our love toward Him. <clears throat> Amen. And. They saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let's come to the second part. The first part is he come to Jerusalem triumphantly. Even he prepared to be died for redemption. Yet, this kind of coming is come in a triumphant way. Verse 41. On one hand, people are welcoming him, rejoicing. And when he drew near here, he wept over. That shows us he, when he presented himself, he not rejoiced as being welcome. Saints, uh, people welcome us, we might be quite happy. But the Lord, he did not care you welcome me or not. He cared for God's people. This part, he's lamenting, he's weeping, he's groaning, he's crying. You're all so happy, but you don't know what my heart is. My heart is not expecting for your welcoming, but my heart cares for you. Look, 42, if you know this day, even the things that are for you, which is the peace supposed to be for you, but now you have been, it's having been hidden from you. Your eyes will not see the peace. You are, what are you happy for? Don't you know that peace is going to come? 43, for the days will come upon you. Don't you know enemy will come? 
and throw you into a rampant. Rampart is a kind of wall surrounding you. They, they build, they're going to build a wall that surrounds you and then press on you from all angles, from every side, 44, and they will level you, flatten you to the ground. And your children will be inside. And they will not leave a stone upon a stone in you because you did not know the time of this visitation. Don't you know I come to save you? But you did not know where you are. And you are so happy for me, but I'm weeping for you. One day, the enemy will come, encircle you, surround you, and trample on, trump, trample on you. And you're going to be flattened. And this temple, this religion thing that you treasure will be totally smashed, will totally dismantled. Not stone upon another stone. What are you happy? <laughs> this is how he come to present himself. The second thing is he come with lamentation. Number one, he come triumphantly. Number two, on one hand, he's triumphant. On the other hand, he's lamenting. Lament, just like the book of Jeremiah, lamentation. It's a kind of weeping, wailing, um, just like wailing wall. That's lamenting. And third part is he come to cleanse the temple. He didn't come to get his kingdom here. But he come, his heart is not for his for himself. 46, saying to them, it's written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Thief. Someone that care for himself, don't care for God. What are you doing here? Outwardly, you are here in the temple, but you're making merchandise here. You're making business here. You are not careful. God, my, my house should be the house of prayer. Now, look at that. This house you're doing for your own things, for yourself. You make this house become the house for yourself. This is robbery. You make it the den of robbery. And then when you say this house start making become the den of robbers, the house of thieves, the house of robbery, they want to kill the Lord. So they find a way. Verse chapter 20. I'm sure we all read that. This part talking about number four, he come to Jerusalem. Number one come triumphantly. Number two, he came to Jerusalem by lamenting care for the city. Number three, he care for the house. And number four, he came to the city, prepare himself as the lamb, the real Passover lamb. 
this is how he presents himself. He presents himself as exercising the divine sovereignty. I control, I can tell this cult, everything what the master will say, everything. And number two, he come to care for the city and lamenting for the city of Jerusalem. And number three, he cared for God's house. And number four, he cared to be the lamb of God. To redeem God's people, you need the lamb, the lamb of God. And being the real lamb of the Passover, you need four days to examine. You cannot just pull any lamb from the from the fold. Maybe you get the lamb that short one horn or miss one eyes. Lord, can I give this to you? Uh, or maybe become three legs already. No, no, no. That lamb or God must be without blemish. No defects. Perfect, perfect. The priest is going to check it, decide that side. Nothing wrong. Then that one, the best, best product can offer as a sacrifice to God. And then the Lord Jesus, he must come to Jerusalem earlier. You cannot come on the day of Passover. Then the priest said, we haven't tested yet. We haven't checked yet. We haven't examined yet. So you come earlier so that he can present himself to the priest and get examined. Nobody wants to we, want, we don't want to let people examine us, to check us, to expose us. Exam means the weight, the scale, how heavy you are, what's the weight of you, and even to draw out what you have or what are the defects, to draw out everything. And he come to present himself, let you scale. Let you draw what I have here. Okay. And here, the first one is come to the priest, the scribe, and the leaders. Okay. And, and the elders, these are the leaders of the Jews. The one that examined here are a, a group of people who are... Kind of leaders, the top, very high demand in God's people. Yet the Lord present Himself to this group of people. And this kind of example that we read, He was so patient. Number two, He was so frank, straightforward, and without any angry. You know, this is how he present himself. He did not angry. Someone that examine you, you might get angry. But the Lord, he did not get angry. That's why I'm here. I let you present. I present myself. You weigh me. You scale me. You draw out what I have, what's inside. That is, oh, saints, it's difficult to be examined by someone. We don't want to be examined by someone. But the Lord presented himself to be examined. But this examiner, the one who examined them, they did not know. This one, what we are examining, this one has three status. He is a man, but we saw outwardly is not have any beauty. 
And number two, inwardly he's God. And number three, he is a type of the Passover lamb. Look, all his action is just like the lamb of God prepared in the Old Testament that prepared to, for the Passover. He is the, the three status. He is man, he is God, and he is the lamb of Passover. <clears throat> and how did they examine verse 2 and they tell us what authority do you, this, you do these things? Or what, who is the one who gave you this authority? The exam. How could you have this authority? They come to exam. Who give you this authority? Asking him about the source of his authority. How do you say? You can say, oh, God gave me the authority, but he doesn't want to use this one. Rather, he asked them the question, how about John the Baptist? You want, you want to know what is authority? Let me tell you. In fact, on one hand, they examine the Lord, but on the other hand, God teach them what is authority. Okay. Let me tell you. John the Baptist, is he, was he from heaven or from man? Yeah, from heaven? Not right. From man? No, no, no. Was he in this end? Okay. Verse 5. And they reason, discuss together among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, then the Lord, this guy going to ask him, why did you not believe him? That means that is their failure. They did not receive John the Baptist is from heaven. They denied the authority of John the Baptist. They deny him. They want to ask, who give you the authority? Do you want to know authority? Let me tell you. John the Baptist, has he got the authority? Why you don't believe him? All right. Is that sweet? That this part, while they examine the Lord, they want to scale, they want to weigh his authority, then the Lord teach them what's authority. All right, <clears throat> look, at that time, I don't know why the Lord used this example. Verse 10, and now verse 9, and the Lord Jesus began to tell them a story. Let me tell you a story. And he said, a certain man planted a vineyard and ran out, visited out to the vine dresser, the one who looked after the vineyard. And he went abroad for a considerable time. That is talking about he himself is the landlord. And in his ascension, he went abroad. And he hired some vine dresser, which are this vine dresser. These are the chief priests. These are the scribes. These are the elders. And then this vineyard is God's people, the Israelites. And God hired them. God entrusts them, some of these chief priests, scribes, and elders. God entrusts them. And at the proper time, then he sent a slave, the Lord sent a slave to divine dressers. That means the Lord sent a lot of prophets to help them. Okay? 
and then, but the vine dresser beat him and sent him away empty hand. The Lord sent a lot of prophets. Some of them, they just sent him away. Verse 11, and when he sent on another slave, and they beat him and also dishonor him and empty-handed sent him away. And when 12, and he went on to send the third um, verse 10, in the proper time he sent his slave so that he might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the vine raiser beat him and sent him away empty-handed. 11, and he sent another slave, beat them. Verse 12, send the third one, also wounded them, throw them out. The Lord keeps sending prophets after prophets. But this one, the Judaism, the priests, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they just reject them. 14. But when the vine dressers, uh, 13, then the master that referred to the Lord of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, underline the word my son, the beloved. They will probably respect this one. Okay. I send someone, you reject them. How about this time? Let me send my beloved. Maybe you will respect him. 14. But when the vine dresser saw him, oh, the Reason with one another, saying, ah, this is the heir. Huh? This is the son, the one who's going to inherit. Let us kill him, that the inheritance may become ours. The Lord is telling them, <laughs> well, you know what's this part all about? Okay. I hope you read it in your Bible. The Lord's showing them that you do not know the deputy authority. You are looking for authority, but it is foolish if you do not know deputy authority. Only the foolish vine dressers, they're expecting a personal appearance of the master. They just, we just want to see master. Do not consider the coming of the prophets to be sufficient. This prophet, they're just deputy authority. Only a foolish person would say that the deputy authority cannot consider us authority. No. These are the ones who does not know the deputy authority. And they are the ones who examine where do you get your authority. The first thing what the Lord showed him, in every age, the Lord has his deputy authority. The Lord placed us in the vineyard. And in this vineyard, we're taking care of God's people. But we have to know there is a deputy authority. Today, 
some of the saints even would like to rebel this deputy authority. And this week, I even received some kind of news. Rebels talking about negative things, what the Lord's recovery is. Um, they reject the deputy authority. These people, they come, they thought, are you the only speaking in this age? From age to age, the Lord sent a lot of prophets that speak on his behalf. But this one said, no, they reject them, even beat them. Watchman is that only a foolish person would say deputy authority cannot consider as authority. Don't you know authority is manifest through deputy? And they are examining the Lord who will give you the authority, but the Lord teach them. You want to know who is the authority. And this story has been told them, verse 16, and he will, what happened? They threw him out, verse 15. They threw the sun, the air out, out means outside Jerusalem, on the vineyard and kill him. And what then will the master of the vineyard to do with them? What should the master do? And he will come and destroy these vine dressers. He will destroy chief priests, scribes, and elders, and will give the vineyard to the others. You underline the word others, that is to the church. Oh, praise the Lord. We are all these donkeys. We are all these cult. And when they heard this, they say, May it never be happened. They don't know what the Lord is talking. Actually, he's talking to them. And well, I think this should be quite a clear part that the Lord, while he's under being examined to be the Lamb of God, on one hand they check their scale, his authority. On the other hand, the Lord showed them. The deputy authority has been sent to you. And you should not be foolish to know the deputy authority. How about we stop here? And I hope in our group that we can have some kind of overflow and we can learn from one another.